matter of trespass. I want you to get the hell off my property. We're government agents, sir. These two folks are wanted for questioning, nothing more. I don't care if they're wanted for assassinating the president. Show me a warrant or get the hell off my land. We don't need a warrant. You do unless I woke up in Russia this morning. How drunk and fucked up would you have to get to blackout in upstate New York and wake up in Russia? Whatever, old man. Anyway, spoiler warning for the novel and the film version of Firestarter. Also mature content warning. The guys like to say wordy duds. of the horror of Babylon where we are discussing the 1984 adaption of Stephen King's Firestarter starring Drew Barrymore. I am Ryan and with me as always is Daniel. Say hi Daniel. Hi Daniel. So we are going to jump in by giving a little background information on the film. I'm excited I got to do a little bit of research on this movie. Uh, so it was published in 1984, or sorry, it <laughs> premiered in 1984 which was just four short years after the book was published in 1980. The movie was originally given to John Carpenter with the intent that Richard Dreyfus would play Andy, but John Carpenter was actually fired because of the underperformance at the box office from The Thing. And I'll just let D you react to that. Disappointing. I, I, I'm disappointed that The Thing underperformed back in the day because it's an amazing movie. And I'm disappointed that he didn't direct this, even though I like this movie. Uh, I would have liked to just see a John Carpenter Firestarter. Uh, yeah, that would have been interesting for sure. It's just like, I, I like the Hobbit movies we got, but I still would like to have seen what Guillermo del Toro would have done yeah. with that source material. I still want to see that timeline. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, after he was fired, they got Mark L. Lester who's not a very well-known director. Uh, the biggest movie I could see on his IMDb page was Commando, Commando! in 1985 with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, and then also Armed and Dangerous with John Candy. He told me you'd kill me last. I lied. <laughs> uh, the screenplay was written by Stanley Mann, who wrote the Conan the Barbarian screenplay. And for the James Clavell uh, connection, he also wrote the adaption for Taipan, which is the second novel in the Asian saga. I still need to read Taipan. Yeah. It's, it's uh, amazing. And the movie, <laughs> the movie's actually kind of decent, too. I still want to see Shogun. We should watch Shogun. <laughs> we'll, we'll watch it together. Yeah, I've got the miniseries on Plex. Uh, so it had a $15 million budget and a $17 million gross. I'm... <laughs> I just want to put it out there. They, they fired John Carpenter for underperforming. They didn't lose money. <laughs> so, uh, opening weekend was $4.7 so, Yeah. So, I figured that probably wasn't bad for 1984. Uh, it was nominated for two Saturn Awards, one for Best Horror Movie, and one for Best Performance by a Young Actor. Yes, it deserved. 
it lost both, but I'm gonna. I have the page up. I'm gonna go over the competition with you. It's it's pretty crazy. Was it pretty stiff competition? Or? It, it was. Okay. So it lost for in the best horror film competition. It lost to Grimm. Okay. Yeah. And the the other films nominated were A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh damn. Creature and Dreamscape. That's uh. That is some really stiff competition. And then the next one is even even better. So the other category was best performance from a young actor. Lost to Noah Hathaway, who played Atreyu in The Neverending Story. <gasps> but the other ones were The Kid from A Nightmare on Elm Street, Short Round from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and The Kid from Gremlins. Yeah. So, so Drew had her work cut out. I mean, all five of these are great. So. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that that was the competition. I, I think I personally would have given it to uh, Kei Hua Kwan in uh, Temple of Doom. I, like, Short Round totally makes that movie for me, <laughs> but I, I could honestly see any movie. I think you're the one dude I've ever heard that say that Short Round Shut makes that movie. Shut up. Short Round is amazing. <laughs> it, Short Round was the only reason Emma made it through the entire movie. That is also fair. Okay. Um, so we are moving on to our first section where we're talking about structure and themes. Not a lot to go on here. I'd say the, the structure is, is pretty similar to the book. What do you think about the structure they used in the movie, and would you have made any changes to it compared to the book? No, I mean, it's, like we always say with every adaptation, it's a little condensed. But they, they still start with them getting chased in the streets. They still have the flashbacks. The flashbacks aren't as uh, prevalent or as broken up. And really, it's just them getting lot six mm -hmm. and then him finding Vicky dead and going after Charlie. Yeah, that's it. I think that is it, yeah. I don't uh, tr trying to train Charlie a little bit with yeah, the fire, but and, that that's it. Yeah. But, I mean, and they don't, are, they don't linger on them very long. And those are the key ones you need yeah. to understand what's going on. So actually, the structure in terms of the flashbacks in the movie is mm -hmm. a little tighter, but of course it's a two-hour movie compared to a 500-page book. Yeah. And the things that uh, they tighten up, decisions you would have to make to fit the story into a movie. For instance, when Andy finds Vicky, and he has to then find Charlie. In the book, it's this whole big process where he calls the friend's house and finds out what kind of car they were driving. And then he determines their most likely route. And he starts driving on that route. Da, 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 da. But yeah. in, in the movie, they just change it so, oh, they're still at the friend's house, and he can't catch It's them. a lot like when they try to uh, portray Andy's powers. When you're describing the ricochet, you're getting inside people's heads and seeing how it's making those connections. They kind of have to skip a lot of that, because you can't really go into, like, a cap's head no. and show how he's making the snake connection. So they, like, they streamline that. Yeah, and I miss some of the things they exclude but I'm not angry over all of it. I think all of the decisions mm -hmm. make sense when you're translating what's on the page to the screen. Spoiler alert, one of these things is actually going to be my coots, though. Yeah. Even though I, I understand that why they took it out, I'm still just missing But we'll get to that when we get to King's coots. I wonder if we have the same coots. Uh, <laughs> probably not. I don't think we do. But we'll, we'll find out. Okay, so jumping into characters, of course, we have the Firestarter herself, Charlie McGee, by Drew Barrymore. Just a couple quick facts. This was her fifth movie. She hmm. 
She was nine years old when she did this movie. This was right after E.T. and before Cat's Eye. Uh, so I like Cat's Eye a lot. I love Cat's Eye. Uh, what do you think about one Charlie's character going from the page to the screen and two Drew Barrymore's performance as Charlie McKee? Uh, this was actually a pretty good translation of Charlie. Uh, one of like the I don't know if it's a problem I have. Like when we watch the trailer of the new movie, mm-hmm. uh, when I see that Charlie, I don't see the book Charlie at all. I, I hardly see what I would picture a nine-year-old acting like. It, it's more like how Hollywood wants a nine-year-old to act like. And this, it was, she she came off as like a nine-year-old. She's like this like slightly chubby-cheeked blonde little girl hanging out with her dad who just happens to set shit on fire. So I think in in recent movies, in recent years in Hollywood, it's definitely a thing to make kids act older than they they really are, make them smarter. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about this on our last episode on Firestarter about how, how difficult it is to write children accurately mm-hmm. to not make them too stupid or not make them too smart. And Firestarter and also it kind of walks a good balance where they they seem more real, uh, but it the trend in Hollywood now is definitely for them to be smarter. I mean, look at look at the kids in the new It movies. Mm-hmm. They're just all Marvel-level sarcasm jokes back and forth. Mm-hmm. The very, very witty. Yeah. You know, and uh, not that there aren't some witty kids or insightful kids, but they're not all Tony Stark. Yeah. It's usually like kids make poop jokes or they talk about boobies. Which, in the book, like the Losers Club... They make jokes to each other, but mostly dumb kid jokes. They're not... They're dumb kid jokes with dumb kid idioms. In in the new movies, it's like Peter Quill and Tony Stark just going back and forth constantly. I love Drew Barrymore. I think she's great in this role. I've always appreciated her because she's one of the few child actors who stayed in the business, still works in the business as an adult, and seems to be... A well-adjusted human being <laughs> wasn't completely derailed as an adult by drugs or alcohol or, or any of that stuff. Yeah, um, she she's pretty well known uh, nowadays for romantic comedies, but she has a pretty varied career. I mean, when she was younger, of course, she did E.T., mm-hmm. uh, Firestarter, Cat's Eye, Batman Forever, Scream. So a lot of sci-fi fantasy horror in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about David Keith as Andy McGee? I believe I was messaging you as I was watching it, and I was like, that hair, man. Like, And you were like, it's like a lion's mane. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh... <laughs> it's, it, it's very uh, 80s-appropriate hair. Very but I was, uh, Patrick Swayze. Yeah. J- I, adjacent. I, I guess I am... The, the, this is this is my bias. I guess I'm just a little too used to modern haircuts in movies. Yeah. But I can't really judge people's hair. You've seen my wild hair before. Yeah, I, mine's mine looks like a bicycle helmet when it gets too long. Um, but he's he's pretty pretty attractive man. Yeah. Yeah. What what's your motto? Don't let a don't let a dick be a deal breaker. Yeah, and I, I don't think uh, what's his name David Keith. I don't think uh David Keith would be a deal breaker for me. Pretty attractive. Not exactly my type, but I'd probably give him a shot. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then, and in terms of his actual performance, I, I thought he was pretty good as Andy. What did mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, no, he was fine. Uh, I don't think it was like a standout, but 
especially if you compare it to like other Stephen King movies or like miniseries. I think in terms of Stephen King adaptations from the 80s and 90s, he's probably a better actor on average. However, he's playing in this movie against George C. Scott, Martin Sheen, <laughs> yeah, and, and even Drew Barrymore. There, there, there's, there's, there's some competition in this movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, he, he did a good job. Uh, so, And then I think we have a lot to say about George C. Scott as John Rainbird. Yeah, I loved him in this role. <laughs> I, I, they, they uh, really, really scaled back the uh, the pedophilic undertones, and just like the random bits of uh, Native American racism. Yeah, like the only thing that ever really acknowledges that he even is Native American is the the jacket mm-hmm. that he wears, like the buffalo hide jacket, and I guess that his name is Rain Bird. But, I. Uh... I will admit, I, I'm always disappointed in this. It's something, especially like uh, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, in the book, like Tyr- uh, Tyrion Lannister's face gets completely mangled by an axe. And when they do the TV show, it's like just a little scar across his head. In the Walking Dead comics, Rick Grimes gets his hand cut off. Yeah. And what would have been season three of the TV series. And of course, they just don't do it. Yeah. But there's, I mean, there's a very practical reason. That means they have to hide his hand. All the time. All the time. But at the same time, I kind of would have liked to see maybe some prosthetics mm-hmm. or some good make. I know that's a pain in the ass for actors. It In the comics, it's like a huge moment for him losing that hand. And yeah. it has implications throughout the rest of the comic series. And I feel the same thing with John Rainbird. Like him getting mangled and then still just being a professional killer. That. All of it kind of ties together into what made his personality what it was. So, do you uh, notice when he put that eye patch on towards the end of the movie? Mm-hmm. It's because the contact lens that he was wearing, it uh, he had a re- reaction to it, and his eye became inflamed. <laughs> so they said, okay, just uh, put on an eye patch. <laughs> they could have just started with an eye patch the whole movie. like. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess they. I, have... I know he does, like it goes out of their way to say he doesn't wear an eye patch in mm-hmm. the book, but they also go out of the way to say he doesn't wear a glass eye. Yeah. So just just put an eye patch on him. That would have been my solution, and then like a little bit of scar makeup around the eye. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would have been my compromise, but other than that, that's just me being kind of a uh, prosthetic snob. It's it's not as big a deal as. Henry Cavill's mustache. Yeah, no. <laughs> Nothing will ever be as big a deal as Henry Cavill's mustache. You ruined everything. Um, and then we have uh, probably the most prolific actor in this movie, Martin Sheen, as Captain Hollister, who just, I think, just like really takes a small, not a small role, but probably like the least important of the main characters and does a lot with it, I think. I am disappointed that Martin Sheen just isn't playing Cap again in the remake. Yeah. Um, but we get... What's his name? Kurtwood Smith read from that 70s show. That's true. You morons just hung vacancy signs on your asses, and my foot's looking for a room. You know, I ought to vandalize your ass with my foot. Sleep tight, 
and don't let the bed bugs put their foot in your ass. How'd you like to own a little bit of my foot in your ass? How about I drive my foot into this thing called your ass? You know, we could call in a specialist to find my foot in your ass. My foot is about to drill a hole in your ass. And you are about to read a book that my foot wrote. It's called On the Road to In Your Ass. Do you ever actually do that with your foot? Once, on Iwo Jima. I can't talk about it. I guess, but still. Gonna put a foot in your ass. I, I really like Martin Sheen, especially young Martin Sheen. Mm -hmm. He had, he just has this aura about him where he exudes this uh, domineering energy. You can buy him as, like, the head of a spy organization. So we really need to cover The Dead Zone because he also plays the villain in The Dead Zone movie. And I'm not going to get into spoilers about that, but I think other than Pennywise and a, a couple others, I, I think he'd probably be in my top five for favorite Stephen King villains. It's hard to beat Tom Curry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, did I call him Tom again? Tim. Yeah, <laughs> he's Tom uh, now. He's really good. I, I'm on record as not liking that movie a lot because of, uh, what's his face? Uh, Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. But yeah. Martin Sheen is excellent in that movie. <laughs> and then just a couple other notables. Uh, we have Heather Locklear in her first movie as uh, Vicky. I think she's really only in... Like the, eight, like two scenes. The two, the two flashbacks... And, then, and as a body. I was... When he opened that door and she just, like, thumped out, <laughs> that got me. <laughs> yeah, it like, did. That was scary. <laughs> um, and then they combined the two doctors, um, mm -hmm. Herman Pinchot and Patrick Hockstetter, into one character, which I thought made sense for the movie. When you're condensing characters, that's the character you condense. They kind of took away all of the characters' moments, uh... I mean, obviously, they weren't going to do the whole garbage disposal thing. I think they should have. I thought maybe we would get, like, a, a toned-down version of it. Or... I, I really think that in terms of scare factor... I don't even know if I'd call this a horror movie, but if you're going to do a frightening scene, that's the scene I would have wanted to include. I think it's kind of a horror sci-fi hybrid yeah it was classified as horror for the saturn awards that year and i guess that works i don't know um i don't think there's a well, well we'll get to scary shit soon and then just real quick irv and norma manders uh i thought they were a cute old couple yeah we didn't really get the prologue with them and uh that's kind of disappointing because i was kind of hoping to see him again mm-hmm but, you know, they pulled off the, uh, we're an old farming couple. Uh, you just don't fret, Missy, and go make us some sandwiches. I freaking love her. How much Deep Space Nine have you seen? Uh, zero. Zero. <laughs> so, Nor the lady who plays Norma Manders mm -hmm. is one of, it's hard to say, it's hard to call her a villain. She is one of the main antagonists in Deep Space Nine. Okay. And she's probably, like, one of the most, like, hated characters 
and all of like Star Trek lore. Oh, really? Basically, she's an overzealous religious figure. Okay. And she comes into conflict with our with the main characters, but she is she's really grating, like super. She's kind of like Star Trek Dolores Umbridge, but I would say even worse. Hmm. But for people out there who who've seen Deep, Deep Space Nine, they know Kai Wen and they know what I'm talking about. But scary shit, scary shit. It is time to talk about scary shit. What shit was scary? What shit was not? It is time to talk about scary shit. Okay, so moving on to scary shit. Uh, like we said, I don't think the movie is super scary. There are some scary parts, like when he finds Vicky. Mm -hmm. I thought that was legitimately scary. And that's probably the scariest part. But the highlight for me is the practical effects. Yeah, they just set stuff on fire. But also the where the guy claws his eyes out. Mm -hmm. I thought that looked great. Yeah, that did look great. Um, they also had Martin Sheen hold a snake, or someone held a snake. That was a great throwback yeah. to his ricochet, or like an Easter egg. Yeah, like well, how he had to, you have to shorten the ricochet, because mm -hmm. you can't do the whole... It would just be too hard to convey all that. Yeah. what a ricochet is. Yeah. Um, but it was a good little, uh, like you said, throwback to that moment. Yeah. For people who've read the book, they know, oh. I know what that is, and then I got that reference. Yeah, I got that reference, and then for people who haven't, it's just like, ooh, he made him see a snake. That's scary. Yeah. Which actually, in the book, you mentioned that Andy doesn't use that ability to like imprint uh, visions on a material object again. Mm -hmm. Which I I don't remember what Cap was holding, but I guess that's what he did. In the yeah, he was just playing with the little string. Yeah, and he's like, oh, those things oh. bite. Oh no, snake. <laughs> Snakes freak me out, so I would have done the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay if, like, somebody is holding a snake, and then I can, like, pet it and touch it, and I'm no mm. problem. What scares me about snakes is, like, the thought that, like, one's, like, under a rock and can just, like, jump out and strike. Yeah. That, that's what scares me. Or trying to get eggs from a mother snake. That's terrifying. <laughs> All of the fire scenes are super impressive. Like, the guys who are in fire suits and, like, completely covered in flames. I'm sure they didn't pay those stunt guys enough. Probably not. Stunt guys are historically super underpaid and underrepresented. Yeah. Um, but, and for me, like, the, the what makes the entire movie is just that last 20 minutes. Yeah. Where she just absolutely goes nuts on the shop. Yeah, no, I like that scene. It just burns them all to crisps. I loved uh, blowing up the helicopter, mm -hmm. the fireballs. Like, uh, Dr. Pinchot was like, oh shit, I gotta get out of here. And instead of running, he gets on a golf cart. Just, just <laughs> blowing up bullets as they're coming at her. Yeah, that was great. Uh, I loved the scene in the barn where Rainbird tries to shoot her. And she just blows the bullet back and turns it into a fireball and just obliterates him. Um, they did not kill any horses. They didn't kill the horses. Which I'm fine with. That's a change I'm okay with. I don't know, man. I kind of wanted them to kill some horses and make her matter. <laughs> they killed a lot of the horses in the book. Yeah, they, they killed so many. Stop shooting the horses! I think that's an actual quote from OJ. Stop shooting the horses! Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I think in terms of scary shit, not a lot to go over. I think the main highlight is how cool the practical effects were. Yeah. For sure. And then just, you know, the general child abduction, all the government stuff we discussed in the last episode. Yeah. Kiss Me Fat Boy, what did you think about them taking out uh, all of the pedophile themes from John Rayburn? And I know you would have kept them in. I would have kept them in. I, I I, think they did a good job, as good of a job as they could have, removing them. I do think it would have been a better movie with them still included. Not for your average moviegoer in 1984. I think it would have made the character a lot more off-putting. Yes, I, I believe. <laughs> but I, I think that's part of the point of him as an antagonist. I believe that pedophilia would put any character to be more off Oh my god, are you Stephen King? No, I'm Dean Koontz. Oh. Okay, so uh, moving on to Kings and Coons. Uh, for me, uh, Kings, it's it's close between the practical effects and the cast. I think I'm going to put the cast as a close second. For me, the, the main draw here is the practical effects. I think it's just stupendous. Yeah. Even, I don't even know how many years later, 30, almost 40 years later, it, it's still, everything looks amazing. I don't care if those mannequins were super obvious. It still looked cool. Yeah. I love the scene at the farm where, like, the guys run into his car, and just, like, as soon as he, like, puts his hand on the door, she just explodes the car, and you just see that mannequin just go flying. Uh, the one guy at the end of the movie, she hits with a fireball, and it launches, like, a fiery mannequin up into a tree. Yeah. Yeah. And then my Koontz is, uh, uh, is Cap's Ricochet. It's, like, one of my favorite parts in the book. I completely understand why it's not in the movie. I think it was the right decision not to put it in the movie, but it's still my coons because I love it so much. My my king is just anything that involved uh, Drew Barrymore, Charlie. Mm -hmm. I thought she was a very good child actor, did a mm -hmm. really good job with the part. She was great. And uh, my coons is uh, Pinchot's Ricochet. <laughs> I wanted the transvestite to to put his hand in a garbage disposal. I wanted him to put on his wife's underwear, <laughs> yeah. go to the kitchen, start jerking off in his wife's underwear, put his hand in the garbage disposal, and kill himself from bleeding to death by keeping his hand in the disposal. I, All because I, it looked like a vagina. I, I would, I could have even kept out like the wife's underwear, but I wanted like the hand in the garbage disposal. I thought, I think, I think that would have been. They could have, I mean, they could have taken out like the the cross dressing and masturbation part of it and just done that. Yeah, they could have given him another that, reason to be th fixated on. That. that would have been my compromise. Would have been just the garbage disposal, but the fact there was no garbage disposal was my. We're probably not going to get that in the new movie either. But yeah. do you think we'll get ricochets? From watching the trailer, I don't even know if they're going to show any of Andy's powers. You know, let's... Not not a lot of them. Let's watch the trailer again. 
and I don't I don't think we're getting flashbacks. I think it's going to be a super linear story. Yeah. I'm fine with them trying something new. I'm also I'm also fine with that. I'm just, you know. Trailer has 6.8 million views. That's a lot of views. Please hold while the guys look this up on YouTube. I don't know. Like I think I think the trailer's really good. I think the shit the movie I think it could be good, but I want to go in with low expectations. I I'm trying to set myself down to it chapter 2 expectations. That way I anything don't... Anything, think it's possible it could be that bad. Anything better than that. One, I'm just not... I, I really like the book, but I'm not as attached to the source material. That's true. So I don't... I don't think I could be that upset by it. Okay, so we're just going to do some of our King Easter eggs. I just want to shout out Drew Barrymore is also in Cat's Eye, which is a horror anthology film with... a three short stories, two of which are based off of Stephen King short stories, Quitter's Inc. and The Ledge. So that's her other Stephen King connection. And then, as I mentioned earlier, Martin Sheen plays the villain in The Dead Zone, which is based on a Stephen King novel, one of my favorites. And then, new section we've been doing here on the show is questions for the listeners. We want you to reach out to us on our various social media platforms. You can Holler at us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, send us an email, join our Facebook group, join our Discord server, and let us know who would be your dream cast for uh, your remake of Firestarter, or if you like the cast for the remake, then tell us why. Daniel's already said that he wants Martin Sheen to come back yeah. as Cap. I want the Cap to return. <laughs> um, or... Maybe he could play Irv Manders in the new one. <laughs> I mean, that would also be good. You want me to get my deer rifle? I'll stand with you. I did like that in this. He just came out with the rifle. He was ready. <laughs> he was ready. He was totally ready. Get off my land. He pulled a Clint Eastwood. Show me the warrant. We don't need a warrant. Unless I woke up in Russia this morning, I you do. That's on my bucket list. To wake up in Russia? No, to uh, pull a gun out on government agents and tell them to give me a warrant. I forgot. I uh, fought a security guard once. Does that count? Yes. Okay, cool. All right, so moving into rankings for TV and film. Missed film, Batman Gotham by Gaslight, The Missed TV Show, The Stand 1994, The Stand 2020, and Phantoms at the bottom. Where would you put Firestarter in this list? Phantoms is still going to be on the bottom. Yeah, I don't. I think Phantoms is going to be on the bottom for a long time. And actually, I'm going to amend my list a little bit when we get to it. But go ahead. Uh, where would you, where would you put Firestarter? I'm probably going to have to put it in second because I think it was better than Gotham by Gaslight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not as good as The Mist. So this is my second time watching this movie. And I wasn't, like, crazy, crazy about it the first time I saw it, but I really liked it a lot on this viewing. Yeah. And I think, no, I don't think it's as good as The Mist, but I think it's it's getting closer. I think it's definitely closer than anything else we, we've watched so far. Yeah. So I would... <laughs> I, I love that Phantoms isn't your bottom. Well, that's what I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna change. Okay, so uh, my list so far is the Mist movie, the Mist TV series, 
the Stan 2020, Stan 1994, Phantoms, and then Bo Batman Gotham by Gaslight. I only put Gotham by Gaslight on the bottom because I was so pissed about the Jim Gordon thing. That's fair. But I think, in all fairness, I have to adjust the list and put Phantoms on the bo bottom and put Batman above that because as mad as that movie made me, it's so much better than Phantoms. It, immensely better. But I also am going to put Firestarter at number two under the Mist film and above the Mist TV series. Yeah. Because I, I just think that's the correct position. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. Indubitably. Indubitably. Okay, so as we're winding down, if you enjoyed this and you want to watch more Stephen King goodiness starring Drew Barrymore, I recommend Cat's Eye. It's a great movie. Tons Cat's of Eye is a great movie. I'm not biased based on Cats or Drew Barrymore in any way. Mm -hmm. Alright, so upcoming on the Horror of Babylon next week, we are finally getting to it. Sunday, May the 1st, we are going to be covering It, Book 1, and the first interlude. Then we are coming back to Firestarter the next week, May the 8th. We are going to cover the two-part miniseries Firestarter 2, Rekindled. Following week, May the 15th, we are going to be back on It, covering It Book 2 and the second interlude. Like we've been saying, we're going to break this book up into five parts, so you have plenty of time to read it and follow along. The next week, Firestarter 2022 is releasing that Friday. So we are going to release our episode, which will be a full spoiler review, that Sunday, May the 22nd. And then the last Sunday in May, May 29th, we are going to continue it with book three and the third interlude. I am super excited to see the new Firestarter. I'm even more excited to start reading it again. Can't wait for it. And I'm even a little a little excited to rewatch Firestarter 2 because it's, I'll, spoiler alert, it's not great, but it's kind of fun. Is it better than Phantoms? Yes. Okay. Infinitely better than Phantoms. I would give it uh, four and a half burning shop agents. Out of phantoms. <laughs> if, okay, on a scale of zero to five burning shop agents, Firestarter 2 gets four and a half, phantoms gets one half of one. Yeah, that's fair. All right, well, uh, thank you very much for joining me tonight, Daniel. I had a great time. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Stay tuned for our socials and stay scary. Stay scary. Well, that was horrendous. I would tell you boys good job, but the dryness of my sarcasm would likely evaporate all the moisture in both your bodies. Anyway, if you want to hear more of this, try please subscribe to their YouTube channel by searching for The Horror of Babylon. You can follow them on Twitter at HorrorPod69. The Facebook page is under The Horror of Babylon. And on Instagram, these fools are The Horror of Babylon, one word. Reach their assuredly empty inbox at the Horror of Babylon podcast at gmail.com. You can also request their Discord server link via any other channel. And finally, if you are foolish enough to support this abomination financially, search for the Horror of Babylon on Patreon.com. And God save your soul if you do.